We're here to meet with Jesus, and he's here to meet with us. So let's go to Mark chapter 7. We're going to read chapter 7, verses 1 through 23, and we're going to cut it in half, and that's how we're going to do it this morning. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. But the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. And he quotes from Isaiah 29. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles a father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever we would have gained from me, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin. Uh, That's a word that refers to like an offering, a vow made to give everything that you have uh, in temple worship as opposed to your parents. Verse 12, then you no longer permit him or her to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down in many such things you do. And he called the people to him again. Now he's gathered the crowd and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him or her. Let's stop there. So the Pharisees come to Jesus criticizing his disciples, saying, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Have you ever been to one of those meetings where you you arrive and you're like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do or say in this moment. For some of you, you might be feeling like that right now. You're like, dude, I don't, I don't do the church thing. Kind of been out of the loop for a while. I remember the Sunday school scene, but like this, this is a little different. And I feel slightly insecure because I don't know if I believe all the right things. I don't know if I'm doing it right. I don't even know where the bathrooms are. And that can feel slightly unsettling. Like, what if you do the wrong thing? What if the Pharisees find you out? 
And they're like, why aren't you washing your hands? Why aren't you lifting your hands? Why aren't you closing it? Why aren't you? And you get the idea. Speaking of bathrooms, I, I'll, share, I'll share a story with you. One of the most awkward, I'm sorry. I think it's appropriate. Just give me a dirty look if at any point I'm crossing the line. If this was a traumatic, like I don't know what I'm doing here in the moment story. Uh, I used to swim. So I was a swimmer, grew up in Southern California. Um, and we would do swim meets, we'd go around. I remember, I remember this so vividly, it was so awkward. I went to a swim meet out of town, had to go to the bathroom, so went into this, like, found the bathroom, but it was a different bathroom. I'd never been in it before. And I'm looking for the, the urinals, trying to figure out where to go. Can't find them, and I'm like, oh, that must be it. But it's like one of these sort of round, sort of 360 urinals. And it had these, like, weird, it was, and it was, like, awkwardly high. <laughs> okay, I'm not getting any dirty looks. I'll keep going. So you know where this is going. So I'm like tippy-toe trying to use this awkwardly high urinal. And then around the corner, someone comes out and they start washing their hands in the round urinal. And of course I realized I wasn't doing it right. Okay, I was, I was, I was relieving myself in the sink. Yeah. So we've all been there, <laughs> right? We've all been in that place where you're like, oh, like, I, I, am I doing it right? Slightly afraid that someone's going to notice, no, you're absolutely not doing it right. Okay, this is not where you urinate. This is where you wash your hands. So this is what's happening. This is what's happening. The Pharisees are criticizing Jesus' disciples slash Jesus, saying, your disciples, why do they not wash their hands? Why don't they adhere to the tradition of the elders who ceremonially cleanse themselves before eating? Why don't they do that? And of course, they, they, they know that it's not a commandment, but it's a tradition. They, they acknowledge the fact that this is a tradition handed down by the elders. And why do your disciples not do this? And Jesus, of course, corrects them uh, quite severely. He throws Isaiah 29 in their face and said, he was right, you're hypocrites. You're hypocrites. And isn't it convenient how you, you disregard the commandments to uphold some sort of tradition that you've built around the commandments. Jesus calls BS. Now, we need to understand where the Pharisees are coming from. Because I think oftentimes we, we, we misunderstand. We all love to hate the legalists. We all love to hate the, the people who think they know it all and they've got it all figured out. And, and, and we're like, yeah, get him, Jesus. Like, you, you tell him. But we need to understand where they're coming from. We need to understand who these Pharisees really are and what they're about. The scriptures are full, the scriptures are actually full of ceremonial purification laws, cleansing rituals that God's people were to practice 
as a means of consecration, as a way of preparing themselves to enter into the presence of their God, of Yahweh, their holy God. Um, Exodus 19, um, I believe, is where we first see this happening. It's when Moses is about to meet with Yahweh. He's about to ascend the mountain of the Lord, and God tells Moses, prepare yourselves, consecrate yourselves, wash yourselves, cleanse your garments, because in three days, I'm going to descend upon the mountain, and I'm going to meet with my people. So cleanse yourself. And then from there, there's more and more and more. You get into Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. There are all of these books in the Old Testament are full, not just merely with traditions, but the purification law is saying, no, you must cleanse yourself before you enter into the presence of holy God. So to be fair, the Pharisees, yeah, obviously they've gone way too far. They've missed the point. We'll get to that. But they, they're zealous they, they earnestly desire to, to honor God, to uphold these, these consecration rights because they, they, they want to take God seriously. You got, you got to be, you got to give them that. You've got to give them that. I'll add this as well. It's a huge mistake to assume that the Pharisees, these guys that we're talking about, were just simply legalists, meaning that they had it in their mind that the way they were going to like gain God's favor was by earning it through good works. Now, I know we've all heard that message preached over and over and over. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's a misunderstanding. Now, maybe like any human, like there was a little bit of that going on, and we all kind of have that in us. Like, how can I impress God? How can I get his favor? What do I need to do? That, that's just a human phenomenon. Read Galatians. Paul is writing to sort of the pharisaical type, and he's saying, look, we all agree, we all know that no one can earn God's grace. We all understand that it is by faith that we're saved. It is surely, a, it's a gift that God's given to us. And he's writing to Jews. He's saying, we all agree on this. So don't merely write off the Pharisees as mere legalists. They are genuinely zealous in their their desire to honor God, holy God. Only they've clearly taken it too far. So Isaiah calls, or uh, Jesus, he quotes Isaiah, he calls them hypocrites. He says, you honor God with your lips, but your heart is far from him. You worship God in vain, teaching the doctrines of commandments of men. He cites the fifth commandment. This is interesting. So in Exodus 19, we get our first glimpse at purification laws. In Exodus 20 comes the Ten Commandments. Which commandment does Jesus reference as he's rebuking the Pharisees? The fifth fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. And then he throws in Exodus 21, 17, just for good measure, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Jesus points out how the Pharisees are coming up with religious technicalities to justify working around the most basic of commandments. Honor your parents. Like, love the people who raised you. So then Jesus calls the people to gather around. 
Now he's going to explain a few things. He says, hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. In other words, it's not the dirt on your hands or the nastiness out there that's your problem. It's what's in you that you should truly be concerned about. It's not the dirt on your hands. It's not those people that maybe you rubbed up against in the marketplace on the way to the meal you're about to have. It's, it's what's in here. It's what's in the heart that you need to be concerned about. Because although you might be saying all the right things, you might be doing all the right things. You may have mastered the motions, but your hearts couldn't be any further from God. He says to the Pharisees, your worship, it's, it's vain. It's vain. And don't we just love to see Jesus rail on the conservative religionists, the fundamentalists, those who think they've got it all figured out, but their hearts, hmm, something else is going on. But Jesus also has words for the non-hand washers as well. I love Jesus. He's an equal opportunity offender every time. Just as soon as you think you're like, yeah, get him, Jesus. He's like, oh, hang on, I've got words for you as well. Let's keep reading. Verse 17. And when he, Jesus, had entered the house, a house, and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart? but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. Bit of a, it's an Acts 10 allusion there. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, Coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus says to his disciples, are you also without understanding? I can't help but imagine that his disciples come to him in private. They're, they're now indoors. The crowd's gone. And they're like, yeah, that was great, Jesus. Man, you really let those Pharisees have it. Yeah, good one. <clears throat> but <clears throat> by the way, what exactly were you talking about? And Jesus is like, you don't understand either. The NIV says, are you so dull? Uh, I love the, the message paraphrases by saying, are you being willfully stupid? (laughs) A little harsh. Jesus essentially calls his own disciples evil. He says, you're dense and you've got evil in your heart. Okay. Jesus 
says, I didn't come to affirm or condemn your religious or moral behavior. I came to deal with matters of the heart. I came to do something about a cancer of the soul. I came because everything you do, think, feel, or intend flows out of the inside. That's Proverbs 4.23. Out of the heart flows everything else. Which category do you reckon you're in? Pharisee, disciple, someplace on the spectrum. We're talking about hearts. We're talking about the condition of the human soul. In a moment, Jesus is, he's saying something that applies to everyone. Later on, he actually warns his disciples. Just a page or two, he says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Be on your guard. Later on in Mark chapter 14, we see the disciples, and we'll get there, I can't wait, but we'll see the disciples being, I would say, way more hypocritical, harsh, judgmental, holier than thou, than the Pharisees themselves. What are the symptoms of a Pharisaical heart? Some of you might be tripping up on the word. What is, what is Pharisee, by the way? Pharisee is kind of like a religious slash political party during the first century. These are, these are the ultra devout followers of Yahweh. These are, these are the ones who are determined to follow God and to obey his commands. They, again, I would argue they're not just legalists any more than the rest of us, perhaps, but they're the zealots. They're the ones who want to do it right. But man, they're getting it wrong. And that pharisaical attitude, that heart issue that Jesus is addressing, we're all, we're all liable. We, we all have it in us. So what are the symptoms of a pharisaical heart? I'll put it this way. It's when you're really good at the God stuff, but none of it translates into actual loving action for the people around you. I will say it again. It's when you're really good at the God stuff, but none of it translates to actual loving action to the people around you. Notice the commandment Jesus cites. This is something. He says, you're great at the first four, but it all falls apart around commandment five. What are the first four commandments? You guys maybe heard this explained before. There's 10 commandments in the Pentateuch. The first four have to do with how we're relating directly to God. Commandment number one is have no other gods before Yahweh. Number two, don't worship the things you make. Don't make gods out of created stuff. Number three, don't make a mockery out of God's name. That is, don't call yourself a Christian and then act like something else. That's called taking the family name in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That means remember who your source is. Those are the first four. Commandment number five, honor your parents. Honor your mother and father. And the the other commandments beyond that all have to do with how we're actually relating with each other. So the first four is like honor God, Get that right. 
And then the other six are make sure those translate into how you're treating people. They all have to do with like, don't murder people. Don't steal from people. Don't lie to people, etc., etc. That's where it breaks down for the Pharisees. Conversely, however, conversely, you can go through all the motions of quote unquote loving people, being a loving Christian person, but still fail to actually love your neighbors. It's action with ill motive. You can maybe be doing all the right things. You can have all of the appearances of godliness, but totally miss the plot. Totally lose the plot because there's still something off in your hearts. You're doing the right things. You've mastered the motions, but with ill intent, ill motive. This is the Corinthian phenomenon. We studied 1 Corinthians last summer. Went through the whole book. This, this was their problem. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm like a clanging cymbal. I can have prophetic powers, understanding of deep theological mysteries, all knowledge, all faith. I can give away all that I have and even become a martyr. But if it's not actually coming from a place of sincere love for people around me, I gain nothing. I can give away everything that I have I can die for the sake of my faith. I can do all of these things that people might look at and be like, wow, you're the real deal. But God sees the heart. He knows what's really going on. What are you doing this for? What's your motivation? Why are any of us here? Are you hoping to get something from God? Is this your way to impress others, et cetera, et cetera? And by the way, I think we all have mixed motives. That's, that's part of being human. It's part of the journey, for sure. Um, here's a question. Bit of a side thought, I guess. But if Jesus is really all about the heart, if what we're talking about has to do like, not so much with Jesus coming to like, modify our religious behavior, but really addressing the issues of our heart, does that mean that the actions are secondary? Does that mean, therefore, like, it doesn't really matter, like, what we do, per se? It's just all about, like, well, but is your heart in it? And I would say a resounding no to that. Um, absolutely not. This one's actually on the screen. Let me, let me read this. This is super important for us, guys, because we don't want to get an imbalanced picture here. Um, can we go to the next one, please? Second Peter. Now, mind you, Peter, the apostle Peter, he's here. He's part of this little moment. He's in on the conversation. And this is what he writes to Christians later. He says, having therefore escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, speaks of the heart, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with perseverance and perseverance with godliness and godliness with mutual affection and mutual affection with love. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being, becoming ineffective or unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For, whatever, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. If you have a heart that has been purified, I'm not talking about you wash your hands before you ate or after you, whatever, this morning, but if you have a heart that has been cleansed, that is being washed and made new by Jesus, then you will be all the more diligent to confirm your calling, to walk in a manner that's worthy of our king, that reflects who he is, what his heart is like, and we will practice these qualities. We will practice these things. He starts out by saying, make every effort. There's a beautiful tension here. There's a beautiful tension. Is is Jesus addressing the primary issue of the human heart? Yeah, absolutely, that's his whole point. Does that mean like how we act or how we practice godliness like doesn't really matter? No, no, that, that would be the definition of hypocrisy. So Jesus is after our heart and our hands. Um, I like to put it this way. Calloused hands, like hands that are actually doing something with love with faith, with godliness. Calloused hands don't always equal a loving heart, but a loving heart will inevitably leave you you with calloused hands. Just because you're doing it, just because you've mastered the motions and you know all the right Bible verses doesn't mean you necessarily have a heart that's full of the love of God. But if you've got a heart that's been cleansed, if you have a heart that has met Jesus and is being filled with his love, your hands will show it because you'll be about the Father's business. You'll be applying this stuff in the way that you love the people around you. So, what does any of this have to do with you and I? Let's see if we can't land this. The difference between the Pharisees and the disciples wasn't that one was so great and the other total garbage. Um, (laughs) They were both both basically idiots. Like, they were both confused, right? The big difference, though, is that the Pharisees thought they had it all figured out. The disciples were clueless. Like, we, I mean, that's, that's, that we've already established that. They have no idea what's going on. In fact, last week, we talked about the boat ride and it said, Jesus, do you, he said to his disciples, do you still not understand like the whole point of what I'm trying to teach you? And he said, and it said because he, they had hard hearts. Okay, so the disciples aren't like doing great. They're bumbling and fumbling along, but it would seem they kind of realize they're clueless because they go to Jesus consistently like, hey, can you explain it to us? Like we have no idea what's going on. And Jesus tries and tries and tries and he's so patient. The Pharisees on the other hand, they're also clueless, but... They think they've got it all figured out. They think they've got it waxed. And that is a problem. We are all susceptible to pharisaicalism. And I'm pretty sure that's a made up word. (laughs) Pharisaicalism. You could call it pharisaism, but that's like a real thing. Pharisaicalism. It's like your tendency to focus on the outer 
thinking you've got it all figured out. It's hypocrisy mixed with just a good old-fashioned dose of arrogance. Because we've all got mixed motives. Or do you not think that you do? That would definitely be a symptom of pharisaicalism. Like, no, not me. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm sorted. I'm, I think I'm nearly perfect. Okay. We're all susceptible to pharisaicalism. It's not just, and it's not just a religious phenomenon. Not just a religious phenomenon. The problem with the Pharisees wasn't just hypocrisy. Rather, it was hypocrisy mixed with arrogance, as I said. They were trying to say and do all of the right things, or they thought they were doing and saying all the right things, but their hearts were hard. So there was a disconnect. That's the hypocrisy. And they seemed to think everyone around them, including Jesus and his disciples, weren't quite as right as they were. They have this idea that the problem wasn't something to do with their heart or the state of their soul or something inside they had it in their mind that the problem was out there. The problem was not their heart. I mean, for goodness sake, they were the ones like zealous for God's law. They took this stuff seriously. The problem was some foul, dirty, irreligious common person rubbed up against me while I was making my way through the marketplace. Someone defiled me. The problem isn't my heart. The problem is out there. That, that's the problem. That's what Jesus is reacting so strongly against. They're both confused. And he's helping his disciples. He's correcting them. He's teaching them. He's praying for them. He's working with them, but the Pharisees, oh goodness. No, that's something else. They thought that they were right and the problem was out there. The problem was with everyone and everything but their very own hearts. It sounds like this. I'm not the problem. The problem is those people. Does our world have problems? Yes, not a trick question. Big time, big time. Do you have problems? Yes. I wonder who's got more problems in the room. I got problems. Last week was like a problematic week. So there's problems for sure. Are there people doing awful evil things? Oh yeah, absolutely. Is it, is, it a, is, it, is it the Republicans? Is it the liberals? Someone's nodding yes. It's definitely the Republicans. <laughs> is it the liberals? Is it this community? Is it the church? Is it the homophobes? Is it the queer folk? Is it the, and we're all pointing, pointing fingers. Who's the real problem? Who's ruining it for everyone else? And it's very easy for us to sit in this room thinking like, oh, but we're decent folk. We're on Jesus' side. We're zealous for God's word. We worship. We're moral. 
And it's easy to step back and think, yeah, I'm not perfect, but I know what the real problem is. It's those people. That is a pharisaical heart. It's when you're in conflict with a friend, maybe your spouse, and you are convinced that they are the problem. It is because of them that your life is falling apart. It's because of, it's the church's fault. Oh, I love that one. Let me just tell you, I am everyone's problem. That sounds, that sounds pathetic. <laughs> I think that sometimes. It really is pathetic. I'm not your problem. The church is not your problem. Such and such political party is not your problem. Well, it is your problem, but you know what your real problem is and my problem? It's me. It's my own heart. It's not the evil out there. It's the evil in here. That's hard. I'm not the problem. The problem is those people. That's, that's the pharisaical heart. Versus, versus, Lord, I don't have it all figured out. I know there's a lot of evil out there. A lot of broken people just like me. Won't you heal our world and won't you start with my heart? That's where grace begins. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous. I came to heal the sick. I came to save sinners. Where do you stand? Who do you think your problem is? Are you convinced it's everyone out there? Or are you willing to admit, no, it starts right here. It always starts right here. God bless Michael Jackson. I think he was onto something. You'll get the reference later. The good news is this. It's, it, the, the point isn't that we can all walk away feeling like introspective and depressed about ourselves. Like, oh, I'm so, you're, he's right. I'm, I'm such a dirtbag. No, that's, that's not it, ever. Jesus came to give us new life. He came to rescue us. He came to give us new hearts, soft hearts to fill our hearts with love and deep compassion for people, for ourselves. He came to teach us and empower us to love our enemies, not to point fingers at them. It's not to say we, we simply condone people's bad behavior. We don't condone bigotry. We don't condone immorality. Jesus, he gave us the list Sexual immorality, blah, blah, and what is it? Can we go back a slide, please? Yeah, there it is. Coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, etc., etc. Jesus isn't condoning immoral action. He's just saying, you want to know what the solution is? Stop pointing the finger and look at your own heart. I'm here to heal you. But grace begins with humility. That's good news. That's good news. That's hope. Hard, painful, 
but hopeful. You're now listening to Grace City Portland.